0: Well, we're coming to the end of where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's speaking to his disciples about him going away and them not being able to come with him. And this is the last time he's going to speak to them. And in a matter of hours, they are going to go through something very traumatic. They are going to see Jesus taken away from them. They're going to flee from him when they see uh, the guards coming towards them in in Gethsemane. He, um, Jesus is going to be abandoned by his friends. Jesus is going to face the humiliation of those all around him, all Jerusalem, laughing and mocking him. He's going to face the physical pain of uh, the torture of crucifixion, which the Romans invented to make the most excruciating way of dying. He's going to experience the physical pain. He's going to experience the spiritual pain of being rejected by his father, forsaken by his father on the cross. Jesus is about to experience that. He's preparing his disciples for what they're going to see. And so it's very surprising, isn't it, that what Jesus talks about is joy. He's about to leave them and his theme and what's on his mind and his heart is this. I want you to know joy. It's not what we'd expect, is it? If you're a Christian this morning, this is what Jesus wants you to know. In following me, you can know deep, real and lasting joy. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet and you're kind of exploring and thinking these things through, Jesus wants you to know this. If you follow me, it isn't losing joy. You don't miss out on joy, but actually you can experience a joy that will never leave, that is unshakable and that is deep and goes beyond circumstances. He wants to invite us to know that joy today. There's four aspects of this joy we're going to look at in this passage. Uh, and they're quite surprising, again, how Jesus goes about it. Because he talks about joy in sorrow. He talks about joy in prayer. Joy in love. And joy in peace. So we'll look at those four things. First of all, let's look at this. True joy and sorrow. So we're in chapter 16. Looking at verses 16 down to 19 there jesus is preparing his disciples as i said for him going away and he says you can't come where i'm going and in verse 16 he says this again look what he says he says in a little while you will see me no longer and again in a little while you will see me and the disciples in verses kind of 17 and 18 are saying what you're going away but then we're going to see you what's going on jesus what do you mean and Jesus knows this is what they're thinking. So the idea is, the image here is um, a lot of the commentators point out. Jesus is probably walking along the streets of Jerusalem with his disciples. They go in from the upper room where they had their last supper together, and they're making their way over to the Garden of Gethsemane. So there they are. And Jesus talking to them on their way, and maybe just says, "Where I'm going, you know, you're not going to see me, but then you will see me." And there might be some of the disciples at the back saying, "What is he talking about? Do you know? Do you get what he's talking about?" And Jesus knows what they're asking. And so he says in verse 19, "Um, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant when I say in a little while and you will see me and again a little while you won't see me. So Jesus answers this problem. And look what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. The world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. What's Jesus talking about? He's saying, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be taken away, and the world's going to rejoice. Yeah, everybody else, they're going to be rejoicing, but you're going to be sorrowful. Think about what's going to happen on the cross. Jesus is going to be taken, and everybody's going to be laughing. They're all going to be mocking Jesus. The world is rejoicing. The disciples, they're seeing one of their closest friends being brutally killed. They're sorrowful. They're scared. And they're looking, thinking, well, it could be us next. And so they flee. But then, he says, your sorrow will be turned to joy. You will see me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection. So Jesus says, I'm going to go, but then I'm going to come back. And you will see me and the sorrow will turn to joy. The cross is going to lead to heartbreak and confusion. But that very thing, the very thing that leads to sorrow, will actually be a doorway, a gateway, into tremendous everlasting joy of my resurrection. And Jesus uses an illustration in verse 21 to to help us understand this, doesn't he? He says, think about a woman who's giving birth. Yeah? She has sorrow because her hour has come. She's in pain. But when she delivers her baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has being born into the world. So Jesus is saying, think of a woman who gives birth. There's pain. You know, there's tremendous pain. And then she holds the baby. Now, the pain doesn't go away the 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 agony doesn't just disappear but there is a superior joy now of holding a child and that kind of takes her focus away from the pain to the joy so she experiences this greater joy that outweighs the pain now how does this truth that jesus tells us about here what difference does that make to our life how does that help us with our search for joy well, the joy we need to realize, the joy that we um, see in this world, that kind of we're sold, is a joy that is superficial. So what if I say the word joy to you, what comes to mind? So often, it is circumstances, isn't it? If I can get the right job, or if I can get the right relationship, or if I can get the right house, or if I can get the right paycheck, if I can get all the right circumstances, then I can know joy. But those situations, well... They're all, they can change at any moment. So if we put our joy and our hopes in a relationship, what happens when that relationship isn't there? If we put our hopes in in finance, what happens when the finance isn't as secure as we thought it was, or we lose our job? You see, our circumstances can be up and down and can change all the time. And we never know what's around the corner. But Jesus says, I want you to know a joy that is deeper, a joy that can go beyond circumstances. Jesus promises a joy, verse 22, that no one can take away. Your sorrow can be turned to joy. I was reading a book I mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago, about this author who went around the world meeting Christians in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. So he went to all different types of countries all over the world. And he talked to these believers and he learned so much from them. But listen to what he said about the Chinese believers. The Chinese believers lived under the very real threat of arrest and imprisonment for the practice of their faith. That threat required constant vigilance, painstaking attention to security precautions. Every time the believers gathered for worship or met with a foreign fellow believer like me, they were in a situation of great danger. Even so, the believers in China exhibited a constant joyfulness in the midst of harsh circumstances i never heard them deny or downplay the danger they never made light of it they were painfully aware of the reality of it but still they showed an undeniable irrepressible joy their situation was they were on edge all the time never knew when they were going to be taken to prison never knew when they would see family members again and yet he said they had a joy a joy that was beyond circumstances See, even if we're in sorrow today, Jesus says, I can help you know a real joy because it can be rooted in something deeper, more certain than your circumstances. And do you see what Jesus says in verse 20? Your sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus doesn't say you won't experience sorrow. He doesn't say your life's going to be easy if you trust in me. No, he says you will experience sorrow and sadness. You'll be times where you just can't understand what's going on. You know, later on in the passage, he says in verse 32, you're all going to leave me. You're going to be so scared, you're going to abandon me. But he says, your sorrow will turn to joy. Why? Because the resurrection is going to happen. And this is deeply helpful with our lives. We'll think about this a bit at the end, but just to touch on it here, we will face trials in our lives. We will face scary times. We will face confusing times. And yet we can know that Jesus has risen again, which means that one day all this sorrow will pass. All the sadness will be taken away. Jesus died and has risen again, and we can know hope in the midst of our sorrow. As uh, we read in Psalm 30, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The the reality to know that there is a happy ending for those who trust in Jesus, has a deep um, sustaining power. If you know that there's a happy ending at the end, it can take you through the struggles uh, and the dark nights that we go through. Jesus is alive, he says. I'm going away but I'm coming back and your sorrow will be turned to joy, which means everything I've said about myself is true. It means there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth and you can trust me. And that helps us deeply in our sorrow to know joy. See, it's a joy beyond our circumstances. A joy that even in sorrow, we can know it's going to be okay. But one last thing before we move on to the next point. Do you notice here, the very thing that's going to bring them sorrow is the thing that leads them to this true and lasting joy. We've got a God who does that. He can take the darkest, most confusing, most hopeless situation where there seems to be full of uh, despair. He takes that, and that is actually the doorway to a life of joy. He can turn situations round for our good. So let's apply that to our lives. What sorrow are you carrying now? What confusion, what darkness, what worry? What turns your insides as you think about it? We have a God who can take the saddest situation and use that as the means and as the way for us to know a a lasting joy, to know him in a way we wouldn't have known him in any other circumstance. Notice we're not saying that um, this means your situation will be perfect and will be solved. No, no, no. But actually God can use the sorrow as a way of us knowing more of him and knowing more joy. And that turns our moment of darkness into a, a place of hope, doesn't it? You know, a place where we can know this resurrection hope. We have a God of resurrection. So in your darkness now, in that situation, God can you turn your sorrow into joy. That's the God that we have. True joy and sorrow. And that's the first thing. Let's secondly look at now true joy and prayer. Because how can we have access to this joy? I think, well, how can I know a joy... In the midst of what I'm going through. In this confusing situation. And look what Jesus turns to in verses 23 and 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is telling us this. I'm going to the cross and then I'm going to rise again. You won't see me, but then you will see me. And as a result of that, you will be able to approach and talk to my Father in heaven and speak to him and ask in anything in my name. That's what's going to happen. Because I go to the cross, you're going to have this access to the Father. Why? Verse 24, that your joy may be full. I want you to have access to this joy through coming to the Father and just bringing your life before him and bringing your requests before him. See, the the triune God wants you to know the joy that there is within the Godhead. We access this joy in the name of Jesus. We say, God the Father, in the name of Jesus we come. What an invitation. Ask anything in the name of Jesus. What a thing to say. Ask anything in the name of Jesus. Now, what we need to understand here is we need to ask in the name of Jesus. So prayer is asking in the name of Jesus. Um, what does that mean? Well, it means, doesn't it, that it affects what we ask for, really. You know, if you've ever been given the power of attorney for someone, that means that you do things in their name. So you can write the cheque in their name, or you can spend money, their money, in their name, uh, and so you do it in their name. So you're thinking, how would they want this to be spent? How would they want this money to be spent? Now, imagine that I gave you power of attorney for. Um, my bank account, okay? Or our bank account. Imagine now, it's a strange situation, but imagine, okay? So when you are signing a cheque or spending money, you're doing it in my name. Now hopefully you would think, what would Andrew want me to do with his money? Which means you wouldn't go down to the sports shop and buy Liverpool shirts for my children. Yeah, you wouldn't do that, because how could I do that in Andrew's name? That is not what I would want you to do you see you kind of think what would that person want me to do how would i want to spend that money when it comes to praying we're asking i'm asking for this in jesus name can i ask it with his blessing yeah so so he's not just saying go and ask for whatever whatever you know you say no ask it in jesus name so he's given us the 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 option to be uh, and the permission to be um, bold in our prayers but let's ask it along the line of what jesus wants How do we know what Jesus wants? We get to know him. get to know him in the Bible. We get to see what he's like. We get to see what he loves and what he hates. And so we can pray boldly, Jesus, I know you love this. Do it. In Jesus' name. But also coming in Jesus' name gives us amazing access to the Father. You know, when we come to pray, we can feel so unworthy, can't we? We're speaking to God who knows everything about me why, why should he listen to me? I remember reading this illustration um, many years ago now, but I'll share it with you. Imagine that you are, um, you're, you're a poorly dressed beggar, say, okay? And you are haven't had a show for a while, so you're smelling and um, you look a bit shabby. And you have become your prayer. And you come into the palace, towards the gates of the palace of the king, of this great king. And you go before you and, and, and the guards kind of can smell you coming a mile off and they kind of turn their noses up a bit at you. And you stammer out a message and you say, you know, I, I want to see the king. You know, your words are barely um, audible. You can barely get them out. But then you whisper one final word, Jesus. I come in the name of Jesus and suddenly everything changes the palace comes alive the guards snap to attention you know the lights come on the doors fly open and you are ushered into the palace right into the long hallway through to the throne room of the great king and he comes running towards you wrapping his arms around you why because you've named, come in the name of jesus you are friends with jesus you are friends of the king you have access to him however you feel you come because of the name of jesus and what he's done John Calvin, the theologian, said this, we have the heart of God as soon as we place before him the name of his son. We have the heart of God as soon as we place him before the name of the son. You see what it's saying? Here is Jesus. He's died in our place. We are forgiven and we can have access to the Father through his name. And there is joy to be had. This week, God invites you to prayer. And he says, and Jesus says these words, doesn't he? Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Here's a quick test for us, just to do in your mind. How different would your life look today if God gave you everything you'd asked for over this last week? How different? Do you see the problem? So often we don't even ask. We we just don't ask. Jesus is inviting us to ask in his name. So let's ask this week. Let's boldly go before him and say, Jesus, please do this. Please would you do this in your name. Go to your generous, joy giving, joy fulfilling Father and ask. You see, prayer can so often be something in our mind, you know, drudgery, or we have to pray. No, no, not at all. This is where we have access to joy. And we come in the name of Jesus. So let that kind of help us to think what we pray about and the fact that we can pray we have access to him. So there's sorrow and joy. There's prayer and joy. Now let's look at love and joy. Because look what we're told in verse 27, which is closely connected to what we've just seen. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from the Father. Jesus saying, look, because you've trusted in me, the Father loves you. Because of what I'm going to accomplish on the cross, you are loved by the Father. Now, you might hear that, or you can imagine this situation, can't you, that um, a daughter brings home uh, a boyfriend for the first time, and she clearly loves this, um, this man. And the, you can imagine the family saying, look, if you love, her, uh, you love him, we love him. Yeah, you know that kind of idea, well, we, we trust you. Well, here, here Jesus is saying, because you've loved me, the Son, the Father loves you. See, when you take a step back and see what's going on here, this is a wonderful truth, isn't it? As we said earlier, a moments that Jesus would be facing arrest and he would face that horrendous situation where he would um, be betrayed and abandoned by his friends. But he's about as well, as we'll look at um, next time, we're going to look at the the prayer that he prays. He's about to pray in Gethsemane. And although John's Gospel doesn't tell us uh, much else about that happens there, remember what we're told in Luke's Gospel. Jesus goes to pray in Gethsemane before um, he goes to the cross. And when he goes to Gethsemane, he is in emotional turmoil. He is sweating drops of blood. His emotions are so intense. So... Here is Jesus in this intense situation in the garden. And why is he in darkness? Why is he kind of on the floor? Well, because when he goes to pray to his father in Gethsemane, he gets a taste of the cross. God the Father loves god the son and they've loved one another for eternity by the spirit that's the triune god and so when jesus prays in the in the um, gospels you see him praying all the time there's always going to be a warmth between him and his father because that's what he's known for eternity but when he comes to the garden of gethsemane jesus prays and instead of the smile of the father he experiences for the first time ever a frown instead of the love and the warmth, there is coldness. Instead of light, there's darkness. And Jesus gets a taste in the garden of what that is, and it literally flows him. He is, not, he is just knocked to the ground, overcome with this dread and emotion. And when Jesus went to the cross, he drank in full what he tasted in the garden. When he went to the cross, he was forsaken by the Father. That warmth of love was now cold. That smile was now a a frown. That light of love was a darkness. And he was experiencing what we deserve for rejecting God. He took that on himself. So Jesus was abandoned so that we could know acceptance and smile and the lightness and the warmth of the Father. And when we trust in Jesus, we get welcomed into the family. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will get the acceptance that I have earned and I deserve. We are loved with this everlasting love. Can you see how that can help us with joy? When we go through sorrowful times and tough times, so often we can think, um, you know, does God really love me if this is happening? Then we go to the cross, and we see, of course, he loves us because Jesus died on the cross for me. There I know that I am loved. There I know I'm accepted. And when we look at the cross, we get that resounding a yes to the question, does he love me? You are not abandoned. Jesus was abandoned, so you wouldn't be in your sorrow. And that gives a robustness to our joy. See, sometimes we can approach God based on how we feel we're doing. Yeah? So if I'm having a good week, God loves me. If I'm having a bad week, God doesn't love me. But the reality is, we are loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son, which means you are as loved on your worst day as much as you are on your best day. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to stop trying to earn God's love. Today, look at what Jesus has done on the cross. He has died so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be accepted. And it is a free gift He doesn't say, come on, you need to pay for this now. He is saying, here it is, I'll forgive you, I'll accept you, be part of the family. There is true joy uh, when we understand this love that the Father has for us. It's a love that is um, unconditional, a love that is forever, a love that is unbreakable. When we have that foundation of love... Then we can know joy whatever we face. Here is a love that won't let us down. Here is a love that won't be turned against us. Here is a love that is forever that we can build our lives on. So often when we think of love, we, we think of human relationships, don't we? And how maybe somebody who should love us doesn't love us. Or somebody has let us down. And, and so it's hard for us to think of how God could love us. But this is a love that is forever. He loves you this much. That's a foundation for our joy. So, there is joy even in sorrow. There is joy through prayer. There is joy in love. And the last thing is this, we can know true joy and peace. In the last few verses, verses 29 onwards there. So, at the end of this passage, it's interesting that the disciples go, Oh, we get it now. We understand what you're talking about, Jesus. You're not using figurative language anymore. We understand... And Jesus says, but do you, though, in an hour, you're going to be gone? You know, be careful what you say. Be careful how, what you think you understand. I think, just as I was reading that this week, it's a good reminder, isn't it, that we've got to be careful we don't have all the answers. Careful that we don't know and think, oh, I've got it. I understand it now. We need a humility about us when it comes to God's word and comes to the gospel. We don't know as much as we think. Um... And the disciples said that, we know, we get it, I understand. But Jesus said, no, 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 hold on, in a bit you're going to be going, boys, you you don't get it yet. But then he goes on to say, even to these people who are about to abandon him, he says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now this is so important for us to grasp. On the cross, it looked like Jesus had lost. It looked like the devil had the upper hand. It looked like all that Jesus said about himself was lies. But then, three days later, he rose again. And in that moment, he shows he is victorious. He shows that he, all that he promised about himself is true. And he showed that um, all he said he was is real and we can trust him. Here is God's promised king. Bringing to pass all that he promised he said he would. One of those promises, I'm going to fix this world. And his resurrection is this way of saying, it's on its way. It is coming. Now we need to remember that. He says, I have overcome the world. I am victorious. I have won. I've defeated the enemy. That's what Jesus is saying. Now it doesn't always feel like that, does it? I'm sure you, well you might have been in this situation, okay, you start to watch a series or a box set, and you know there's two or three series that are coming after it, or maybe a film, and you know there's films that come after it. And you're looking at the hero, or the lead character, and there's an episode and you think, oh no, they've had it. This is it, they're going to die, and this is the end of this character. But in the back of your mind you know hang on there's another two films or there's another two series so they must survive but at the moment it looks like they've had it do you know that experience you know they're going to survive even though it looks unlikely well the good news is jesus has given us the whole box set as it were in the bible the ending is this jesus wins that's the end the book of revelation is all about that however confusing it might be we'll be reading it as a church soon however confusing some of the pictures might seem here it is summed up in two words for you jesus wins that's the big message of revelation so however it might seem when it might seem that jesus is down and out when it might seem like the church is backed into the corner oh no what's going to happen you know it seems like we've got nothing we can do or say or when we feel like the the Christians in China who can't even sing out loud, not just in COVID times, but any time because they have to whisper, when you're facing that, we remember Jesus wins. He's overcome the world. And we're on the winning side. We're with him. And so that means, as Jesus says here, I've said these things that you may have peace. You will face tribulation. It's gonna look like I've lost. It's gonna look like there isn't gonna be another film or another series. It looks like this is the end, but Jesus says, I'm coming back. You're on my team. Keep going. Jesus invites us to experience joy. And you see, as I mentioned earlier, the difference the confidence in Jesus' victory has on our joy. When you know that the end is okay, it'll help us now when you know that there's hope at the end, it'll keep you going now. I remember reading the story of a man who was a prisoner of war. And um, Louis Zamperini was his name. Uh, and he was thrown into this prison and he wrote his name um, on the wall. He just wrote his name down because there's you know, a few other people have written their name there. And all the other people in that, who had written their name on the wall, were kind of crossed out. So their, their names weren't, um, weren't there anymore. But his name wasn't crossed out. And he met in another prisoner, prisoner of war camp. He, he met another prisoner and he said, I saw your name and it kept me going. Why did they keep him going? Because he knew if Louis Zamperini survived, then he could survive it too. The point was he knew that somebody had got out the other side so he could keep going. When we know that there's hope the other side, we can keep going now. So whatever you are facing today, you can face it with hope in Jesus Christ because he says, I've risen again and I'm coming back. Join my side, be on my side and know this confidence. And that can give us joy in the midst of the darkest of times. Joy isn't something that is just kind of a fake smile. You know, we're all, except for me, we're all wearing these masks, aren't we? And I've said before now about the ones you can buy with smiles on them. Yeah, sometimes we can think that's what Christian joy is, kind of a pretend plastic smile. No, we can be joyful in tears. We can be really struggling, but deep down having a joy. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. It is lasting, it is deep. It's just a a deep awareness that it's going to be okay. A deep awareness that God is with us whatever. That's true joy. Joy in sorrow. Joy in tears. Because we will face tribulation, But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. I'm alive. Will you join his team if you haven't before? Today, why not? If you have, what an encouragement to to remember Jesus and all he's done for us. Let's pray uh, to close this time, then we'll uh, listen to another song together.